Welcome to episode 22 of Flying Podcast. Following on from my chat with Mike Miller-Smith of the BDFA, today I'm talking to one of the pilots that's trained with them. Arthur Williams broke his back in a car accident in 2007, leaving him paralysed from the waist down. He decided that this disability wouldn't stop him becoming a pilot, and with the aid of the British Disabled Flying Association, that's just what he's been able to do. Uh, apologies in advance for the sound quality of this recording. It was done using Skype to a landline, which was a bit ropey. But anyway, let's have a listen to Arthur's story. Okay. Uh, hi, Arthur. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Not bad. Not bad. Right. So Mike Miller-Smith from the BDFA uh, mentioned your name, said I should have a chat to you about, uh, about your flying experiences. Yeah. What sort of disability do you have? Um, well, I'm T10 paraplegic, so I broke my back at um, T10, uh, T10 uh, and I'm a complete break, which means that I've got total paralysis below, uh, sort of just above my belly button, uh, so no feeling or no movement or sensation in my lower limbs. Gosh, how, how did that happen to you? Uh, I was in a car crash with my ex-girlfriend on February 5th, 2007, so just over three years ago now. So, yeah. Gosh, how old were you at the time? and everything and then this happens and it's a total life changing experience to be honest um, yeah you know you have to take things step by step and after spending about two and a half months in hospital rebuilding um, from scratch basically you start a, a new life for yourself which probably up until now I've only just started to get used to really uh, like I say it's a total change so you know you, you have to adapt well not everything in your life but a lot of everything changes pretty much um, and it takes a lot of getting used to, but, and it's a lot. It's a big hurdle to get over. But I think we're nearly there now. You said you were a, a soldier, were a marine, was it? Yeah, yeah, I was in the Royal Marines. Uh, I've only recently come out. Uh, my service terminated on the 28th of December 2009, so I was in for quite a while uh, on sick leave and, and complications with medical documents and the like. Um, so yeah, but it's good. I stayed in part of five-year point. Um, which has it's helped me a lot tremendously because I've uh, triggered uh, my, a larger pension and also enhanced learning credits now, which means that I'm uh, eligible for £1,000 each year um, for the next 10 years to go towards educational things, including flying. So it's really helpful. Good. So I presume, uh, being a Marine, you were a pretty active price. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty active lifestyle, and that's one of the big things that you have to get used to and overcome when you have your accident is the fact that you're not as physically able as you were. And I, uh, I think that's still a big burden that I carry on my shoulders now is that, you know, I can't quite do things that uh, I used to be able to do. A lot of the things, I'd say perhaps 80, 85% things I could do, I can do now, which I could do before. But, um, you know, say, let's say, for example, around the house and outdoors and stuff like that. But there are certain things that are limited, um, which is a bit frustrating for me. Um, for example, reaching things onto the top shelf and equally as frustrating when people put things on the top shelf. But... Yeah, that's just one of the details, but yeah, it's a pretty active lifestyle and it's pretty hard to get there. And that was, like I say, one of the hardest things to overcome is the fact that you can't serve really as a Marine anymore, but never mind, I've got my wings instead. So, so have you been sort of interested in flying all your life or is it a yeah. relatively recent thing you've come to? Yeah, I was, um, <clears throat> as a kid I was very interested in aviation, you know, I used to love all things, model aeroplane and airfix and things like that. Um, and when I was younger, I had aspirations to join the RAF, but then swayed more towards the Marines from my friends' influences and bits and pieces like that and the people that I was around. So I did that, um, 
yeah, but I've always had a, a, a major interest in aviation. Um, and it's just always been a part of my life, really. I love to get involved in it. I just, yeah, love all things aviation. So, yeah. so you were uh, sat around waiting after you, you've had your uh, your accident, and uh, what made you then decide to try and take up flying? Um, I'm not sure, really. I think, uh, God, what was it? I think I just, I was just on the internet one day, just looking through bits and pieces like that. And I, I thought, well, about flying lessons and things like that, and I just thought. Well, why don't I go up to, like, uh, I'd heard of this um, organisation, or uh, a organisation that do um, sort of experience flights for disabled people. They take them up and do aerobatics, like Ultimate High Base down in Kemble. Yeah. Um, and I heard of them, and I started doing a little bit of research on the internet, um, and came across their website, and got in touch with a woman um, down there, and um, she basically pointed me in the direction of the BDSA. I uh, gave them a ring or an email. I think I gave Mike Miller-Smith an email, actually. And he said, to we booked a date to go down to my trial flight. And I had Mike as my instructor. Mike, um... God. Mike Owen, sorry. Um, yeah, and I went down, did the first trial flight. And, yeah, loved it. Uh, and just from there, it just built up and up and up, really. I, uh, <clears throat> went down for my second, um... The, well, after the trial flight, he said, you can take up lessons in the bits and pieces, which is always, it was all new to me. It was all new... In, new information coming in, you know, realising that it, it perhaps was possible for me to achieve my MPPL or my PPL, or maybe even my CPL if I weren't hard enough. Um, so I just went down on a sort of, you know, I just went down for one lesson and then went down for the next lesson. I just structured it like that. I kept going down and down, learning more, picking up my knowledge. And, uh, yeah, now I've got my MPPL, so, yeah, it's going well. What, so what, was, what was the uh, aircraft you flew in the first lesson? Uh, it's a PA-28. Uh, that's the BDFA's own aircraft, is it? Say again. That was the BDFA's own aircraft? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Golf Bravo Romeo Foxtrot Mike. So, yeah, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, BDFA have got three aircraft, two PA-28. Well, uh, based at Lasham anyway, two PA-28 and uh, the Bulldog. Um, so, yeah, that was the aircraft I flew in for the first time, and that's the aircraft that I did my, uh, my testing and my lessons in. Okay. Uh, the trial flight is a typical trial flight that anyone would get if they went to their local airfield. Take. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, 45 minutes long to an hour, I think. Um, and basically anybody can go up, anybody at all. Uh, you go up and just experience flight in a light aircraft, you know, which for most people is a new experience uh, because, you know, not many people get um, exposure to light aviation, general aviation. Um, uh, uh, as much as they do to the airlines, so it, it's a really different experience. I mean, it's a bit more bumpy and it's a little bit more daunting because the aircraft doesn't look as technologically up together, perhaps, as, as the airlines. But they don't do. They look really oldie, oldie worldy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, what's the P twenty eight? Maybe nineteen seventies, I think. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Maybe not this example, but but it gives you an idea of how how, how they look. Um, but How'd yeah, no, I, I loved it. I mean, yeah, anybody can do it, and I'd, I'd highly recommend doing it. Obviously, being a pilot, you just got to do it. So yeah. So that first lesson really grabbed you. Yeah, it did. Yeah, um, it really made me aware of the uh, possibilities, to be honest. And and I thought, if you can go back as a <coughs> as a disabled person, somebody in a wheelchair, where people perhaps don't expect much from you, you can say to them, "I'm a pilot," and then they can realise you're not joking. It's a, it's a good achievement to have under your belt, and I'm very, very proud of it, to be honest. Yeah, I won't give it up for the world.
Okay. Uh, after your first lesson, you, you said you went on and did your PPL training. How did that go? How, how long did it take you to get there? Yeah, fine. Uh, I soloed in nine hours. Um, and I think in total, it's, I've got 52 hours, 53 hours under my belt now. So, um, yeah, I, the last flight I did was my um, general skills handling test, and I got awarded my, my license. I've got to go down to Lash and do a checkout now, because it's been a while since I flew, leaving it just before the Christmas period. Christmas period I did my test and now obviously it's quite some time after I'm hopefully going down for a flight tomorrow so yeah so you soloed after nine hours yeah 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 nine hours of black <laughs> pretty good yeah, pretty good yeah I was impressed good it's all good because on my logbook you open it up on the first page of flying you see all my lessons and then on the last entry into that page is my first solo and it just looks it looks really good it looks for good well done brilliant uh, and now you've got you say you've got a PPL uh, N and PPL at the moment, right. uh, simply because um, Lasham's about a two-hour drive from me down south, which is a bit of annoying because um, yeah, the BDFA have got two bases. One's up at Tatenhill Hill in Staffordshire, and Lasham down in Hampshire. And unfortunately, I'm stuck in between the two. Uh, but up to Tatenhill Hill, it's two and a half hours, and down to Lasham, it's two hours. So I went for my NPPL so I could achieve a qualification and a license to fly on my own. Um, you know, more quickly, and therefore I could base my flying from my local airfield, which is Wellsbourne, which is about a uh, 15 minutes drive away from me, Wellsbourne, Montford. So that, that that was the basis for me getting my MPPL. But obviously, I'll have my uh, PPL to that once I get hours and things, bits and pieces in my belt. But I just want to enjoy my flying for a little bit, really. Uh, yeah, and then see what we can do from there. Are you now restricted to flying from Lashham or Tayton Hill, or can you? No, not at all, not at all. Um, <clears throat> as long as the aircraft meets my adaptive requirements for a rudder control attached to the rudder pedals, I, I, I'm fine to fly any aircraft um, restricted, and there's no restrictions on my MPPL license as to what I can do because of the disability. So, you know, it's, it's really good, but obviously as a pilot in command, it's my responsibility to make sure the aircraft's there and up together and able for me to fly it. So, yeah, it's fine, so, no restrictions, which is good. I mean, I'm happy with that. You know, there's so many other restrictions on other bits and pieces in life that... Yeah, it gets frustrating sometimes, but with a pilot's license, it's not the case, and I really enjoy it. You know. I was saying to to Mike Miller Smith, it's a, it's a a leveler, isn't it? Aviation, really. Yeah. No matter you know what what your your disability, you know, you can fly as well as the next man. Yeah, yeah. You see, uh, and you know, being a disabled person myself, with people perhaps being a little bit um, pessimistic and a bit <clears throat> hair and on the side of course, you know, I I take it um, quite a lot of pride and quite a lot of profession professionalism to uh, make sure that I do the best job as possible and make sure every landing I do makes pe impresses people so that they get the right impression um, about pilots with disabilities and, and don't think, well, hang on, there a bit of, they could be a bit of a hazard. I want to, you know, get people thinking, well, man, this guy's a really, really good pilot, actually. The fact he can't use his legs doesn't seem to hinder him or anybody else at all. So, yeah, it, you know, I, I can appreciate there aren't too many disabled pilots out there, so it's... it's, it's um, yeah, it's a personal objective of mine to to make uh, make the public more aware that you know we're not we're not as uh, we're not hazardous at all. Good. Uh, so, how would it work if you wanted to, let's say, buy a share in an aircraft at your local airfield? Oh, yet to find that out. <laughs> yet to find that out. Um, that would be the logical I'm, I'm, next step, wouldn't it, for you? Again. That would be the logical next step, you know, to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, it would. Uh, and I thought about it, um, but 
I'm not sure how, how people's um, responses are going to be you know, often a, an echo off of people's shares and their pride and joy that they, they enjoy doing on weekends or, or weeknights. And uh, me approaching them saying that I want to, uh, you know, whack at hand control in them, or, well, they might be a little bit um, hesitant, but I don't know. We'll, we'll yet to see what people's attitudes are towards that way, but until that point, I've, I've still got BDFA's aircraft to hire out whenever I like, so... You know, there's no pressure on that side, but yeah. So. Do you actually go along to some of the uh, the open days, the flying days they have during the summer? Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been to any really yet. Although um, last year, we uh, the BDFA did a, a fly out to Switzerland. Uh, we flew out to Gruyere, uh, Gruyere, and were based there for a week. Um, you know, just flying around the Alps and the Molson and bits and pieces like that, flying out of a smally local grass strip. Um, it was really cracking. All of the uh, well, three of the BDFA's aircraft were there from Lasham, the two PA-28s and the Bulldog. Uh, but also there, it, it, it was brilliant. It was um, it was called Handy Flight 09, and it's basically uh, a fly-in, a European fly-in, where all European disabled pilots can go, and they descend on this airfield, <clears throat> and it's re- it's really interesting. You see, the majority of the pilots at the airfield at that specific week are all disabled. And it's really quite refreshing to see, and I don't know what the locals think. It must be weird going on, but no, it, it, it's really, really good just to see it. There's loads of different aircraft types, and it's interesting to be able to get onto the strip and um, the apron and see the different adaptions in the different aircraft. There's loads of different types, from ultralights to PA-28. Um, I think Tim Ellison brought along his um, Beechcraft Bonanza, which is a turboprop, which was adapted. Uh, and that's a really impressive aircraft. You know? yeah. um, there was a Harvard there, but that that wasn't adapted. That was uh, locally run by one of the one of the locals. And that was a cracking plane, and it's a really really nice setting. And it was a good week, good break. Yeah, we really enjoyed ourselves. Oh, you've flown further than me in in the limited time you've been flying. <laughs> uh-huh. I yeah, no, I, well, I didn't fly out to Gruyere. We got um, I think one of Mike's friends is a uh, is a pilot, and we caught we we flew out there on. Uh, yeah, it was a twin Aztec, and then once we were out there, we did flying in the PA-28 aircraft um, from the BDFA. But uh, they were flown out um, by by members of the BDFA themselves with uh, with other um, you know other members. So yeah, it's good. But unfortunately, I didn't get to fly the legs out. Still a student at the time. So. But it's a beautiful place to fly around, Gruyere, isn't it? It's in the Alps. Yeah, it is. It's really stunning, um, and you haven't got the airspace restrictions that you do have in the UK. Um, the UK is really, really restricted. has loads of height restrictions, and you're hard pressed to find an area where you're, you're not, you've not got to think about what sort of flight level you fly or how high you go or keep to the cloud. And over there, uh, on a good day, the clouds way up, could be well above 10,000, 11,000 feet. So you know, you, you really can get up there in, amount, in amongst the, uh, the mountains, watching out for roll cloud and the likes. Um, and, and you know, just just enjoy flying around the mountains, and it's a really, really good, good sensation. I mean, I don't get vertigo very often, but we flew over this uh, the, the ridge of one mountain, and we must have been perhaps, yeah, probably about a thousand feet above ground level of that mountain. And then, as soon as we flew over the ridge, there was an instant drop down to probably about eight eight thousand, seven thousand feet above ground level, and it, it really makes you think, wow. And it's amazing. It's really, really good. <laughs> Excellent. That's brilliant. Uh, so, what next then? What next? 
Uh, well, I'm going to see how far I can take my uh, take my license. Is really, uh, I think a, a dream of mine now would be to uh, go on and get my commercial pilot's license, even if it means going over to America to get it. Because the CAA are pretty, are still pretty. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I think they're, they're, they're reluctant to give out commercial licenses to disabled pilots, but we have to prove them wrong. I mean, there are, there are people obviously that have done it. I'm sure I'll do it, um, just as they have. But for the next step for me would be to get my full PPL. And then just build up the hours. I think for me now it's hour building. Um, yeah, and then get my commercial and hopefully just. Uh, I want. My aim is to become a flying instructor for the BDFA and give a little bit back to them what they've given to me because, you know, they've transformed my life basically um, and given me the opportunities I have, you know, things that I'd never. You'd never dream you could do in hospital. So, you know, I'm very grateful for them and I owe them uh, a massive debt. Um, and this is my way of wanting to repay him. So, yeah, that's, they're, they're my goals. Sounds like the perfect job being a flying instructor, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does, really. <laughs> yeah, that obviously, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a dream, basically. And uh, I think it goes without saying that you would recommend the BDFA to uh, any other people out oh, there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd say anybody that, that has any form of disability being, you know, uh, totally impaired to, to losing the top of your little finger, you've just got to go for it and go and experience it. And, I think you're a full not too basically. Uh, you know the opportunities that are there and the costs that are available. I think a big misconception of people <coughs> with disabilities is the, the high cost of flying, which they are to uh, able-bodied pilots. You know the costs are astronomical, but for the BDFA it's much much cheaper. And anybody that doesn't go over there and, and you know exploit the, the services that they provide, you know they, they need they need sorting out because <laughs> it's really really good, really beneficial, and it does loads for people's. Um, you know, attitude to life, and, and, and it gives them some, you know, a real sense of achievement once they've flown an airplane, you know, or taking the controls for be it a minute or 30 seconds or whatever, you know, it really is quite an uplifting experience. Well, actually, it is the most uplifting experience I've ever had. So. How much an hour do you reckon it would cost people now to... Uh... Um, I think, let me think, I think solo hire for an air costs £50, uh, an instructed flight £70 an hour, which, you know, you were not going to find anywhere else at all. Uh, I think the BDFA work on a, a cost basis, so it costs the BDFA to take people flying, but that's why they're a charity. And, uh, yeah, like I say in general aviation, you're not going to find prices like that anywhere else. Not even if you owned a share in an aircraft, it wouldn't be that cheap. So, you know. It's about half half normal cost, isn't it? You would... Well, yeah, half normal cost, and perhaps some places, one-third normal cost, you know. So, yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Arthur. No problem. All right, I'll speak to you soon, Steve. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, yeah, thanks again to Arthur for uh, taking part in the podcast. Uh, a superb example of what you can achieve if you put your mind to it, especially with the help of some dedicated people like those guys at the BDFA. As I mentioned in episode 20, you can find the BDFA at www.bdfa.net. Have a look on their website and see how you can support their excellent work. If you visit my website on flyingpodcast.co.uk, you can see a couple of photos of Arthur and see the BDFA promotional video with some footage of Arthur doing his first takeoff and landing from the left seat. Great stuff. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter by searching for Flying Podcast. That's all one word. And that's it for episode 22. If you have any comments, suggestions for future episodes, or if you'd like to take part, you can email me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you again soon.